0: Step right up, step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Test your skills and test your wits against the incredible one-armed bandit, the fruit machine, the puggy, the three-eyed savings buster. Yes, sirree, you sink your coins, you pull the bar, and dance with lady luck. Remember that when you play a slot machine, no strategy is required. The slot machine is controlled by a mathematical algorithm programmed to deliver a set number of wins, a set number of losses. It's just you against the godless predisposition determined might of the machine, so step right up and take your chances. How about you, sir, right there? Why don't you step on up and try your hand at the one-armed bandit here? Oh, well, yeah, I say this looks intriguing. It sure does, sir. Just put your coin in there, pull the bar, and see what Lady Luck has in store for you. Really, really? Just one coin and I could be rich forever? That's how it starts, sir. You just put in one coin and uh we'll see how the algorithm treats you. Okay, am I playing it right now? You're playing it right now. That's right, sir. Just pull the lever. Yep, there you go. Oh, well, didn't work out for you this time. Do you have some more coins, sir? Well, I sure do. I don't want to lose out on a chance to get rich. All right, well, you might want to get a bucket off them, sir, because uh, this algorithm, it's, uh, it's a fickle goddess. Okay, well, let me go to the ATM. welcome to stuff to blow your mind. Uh this is Robert Lamb and I'm Joe McCormick. And uh that was just a little sketch uh, we put together to uh to set the stage for our discussion of slot machines and the science of slot machines and in fact the, the science of gambling behavior. Yeah, Robert, have you ever played a slot machine? I have never played an actual slot machine outside of uh interactions in video games. Not gambling video games, but like legitimate, like Grand Theft Auto, or of course okay. Super Mario Brothers Two. So you're not betting real cash money on these slot no, machines. absolutely not. This
1: is sort of virtual gambling,
0: right? Well, especially like Super Mario Brothers Two comes to mind because if anyone uh, my age re- may remember, in between each level, you played a little slot uh, device, and it was all about winning extra lives. So if that's the only slot experience you have, it gives you a very skewed idea of what a slot machine is because you could not lose anything. You could only win extra lives, uh-huh. and it paid out at a pretty high percentage. It was
1: pretty easy to, to figure out when to press the button so that you would at least get one extra life. Oh, but so there's some skill involved in the Super Mario yes. Brothers 2 slot machine. And that's going to be different than most slot machines in history.
0: That's right. As we'll discuss, they've evolved uh, into a
1: very nefarious parasitic organism, uh, mechanical organism, if you will. I think slot machines are very interesting because in this world of uh, you know unmanned planetary rovers, of robotic surgery machines, of all these incredibly uh, science fiction seeming machines that that occupy our technospace. The slot machine exists as a really kind of perfect mechanism that stands beyond all of that other technology in that it has a job to do and it does it so well you wouldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, the, the industry has, uh, has pushed it in this direction to where it just excels at one thing, and that is making money off the gambler for the house.
1: And ultimately encouraging you to, in in gambling industry terms, play to extinction. Yes. <laughs> which uh, which is the idea that you put some money in and you keep putting money in until you can no longer put money in because you don't have anymore. Which is a, a tactic you
0: you don't even see all that much in a parasitic organism because a parasite generally does not want to extinguish the host. Uh, the host is its is its vessel, right. uh, but uh, as we were discussing earlier, there are always more vessels for the slot machine.
1: Yeah, you can look at the casino as a kind of super parasite, uh, because it doesn't have to attach itself to a host and then become dependent on it. It can draw many hosts to itself, and there's always more where they came from. Yeah, it's it, and
0: and they will bust them in. They will attract those uh, gamblers in with whatever it takes, and. You know, it, you instantly think of, uh, you know, buses coming in with them, of travel uh, deals, you know, even like free room and board. Uh, I was looking at a 2012 study from Temple University, and they pointed out that an average casino in Atlantic City could expect to make $8.45 off of every dollar they spent on their travel and parking promotions for gamblers. So again, free bus rides, free parking, uh, $8.45 for every dollar they spend. Wow. And... So it's a much better deal though, compared to the 251 return on every dollar they spent on room, food and beverage giveaways. But still Wait, that's
1: still pretty good. It's still really good. So for yeah. every dollar they give away in free hotel rooms, free buffet trips and stuff like that, they get back 251 on gambling losses. Yeah. And so that's just one early stat to just sort of drive home how uh how the system works, how the gambling uh hyperorganism works well let's look at the history of the slot machine i I got curious about where this thing came from and it turns out the, the the term slot machine could originally refer to any coin operated machine like a like a vending machine so it's got a slot where you stick the coin in it falls in and you get what you're looking for
0: yeah, it was, slot machine is short for nickel in the slot machine, which is probably the most grandpa Simpson thing I've ever heard <laughs> outside of the cartoon. I guess it could, yeah, it could be anything. It could be gum, cigarettes, etc. You uh. would say, oh, you, you know, you want another pack of gum? Go over to that nickel in the slot machine and,
1: do what comes naturally. Right. Yeah. And then yell at a cloud. So, yeah, in the, in the 20th century, that, that's sort of when we saw the shift to uh, slot machine referring to a gambling type machine. Though I do think it's interesting to still, in a way, characterize slot machines as vending machines because you could look at them as a vending machine for thrills. Mm-hmm. Sort yeah, of yeah. The, you put the coin in because you're not going to be getting the money back. Right. There's almost no chance of winning money at a slot machine.
0: Yeah, and it has far too many bells and whistles and flashing lights on it to really be an investment machine. Like, it's, yeah. it's you know, to the, to the slot machines, uh, uh, in, in the slot machines defense, it is. It does seem to position itself as an entertainment device. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So in the 1880s, there were some bars and saloons in the United States that had early versions of coin-operated gambling machines. Though I think generally they were not much like the slot machines we think of today. So they might be something like a tiny mechanical horse race. Hmm. And that would give patrons something to bet on and eventually shoot each other about. So like
0: basically a little automaton with racing horses that you would – You would bet money and maybe life and death over. Yeah,
1: that's just one example. But it would be some kind of electronic – or not electronic, but a mechanical machine Mm -hmm. that you could use to gamble with. And, And the patrons might place bets against one another or sometimes they could like collect payments in the form of things like drinks or tobacco from the saloon operator where the machine was housed. Yeah, it, I was reading about this, and it almost seems to harken to a, a simpler
0: time. It actually reminds me more of, like, trivia nights you encounter at bars now, where, yeah. where the proprietor paid off winning customers with drinks or cigars or, or tokens for more refreshments, you know? Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of like you go to these trivia nights, and if you win, oh, you get, like, you know, $20 in drinks or something, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's to get people in the door. Yeah. You know, and, and in these cases, you weren't always necessarily playing against the machine. In some cases, the machine might be thought of more like a complicated pair of dice. Okay. Now, the kind of slot machines we really think of—the uh, the reels running through their cycles and then eventually landing to line up—and I'll talk about the specifics there in a minute. Where did that come from? There is apparently some dispute about what exactly counts as the first slot machine, or who should be given the title of inventor. Uh, but the first major producer of the slot machines of the kind we think of today was a San Francisco mechanic, originally an immigrant from Bavaria named Charles Fay. And in the 1890s, he invented a series of machines, the first one called the 41144 machine, then the Card Bell, and then the Liberty Bell, because mm-hmm. it's all about freedom. Uh, and there are also accounts that Fay essentially ripped off the idea from another inventor named Gustav Schultz, who created a nickel slot machine called Horseshoes in the early 1890s, I think 1893. And uh, from what I can tell, Schultz's machine only had one reel at a time, so he really hadn't tapped into the three-reel magic yet.
0: I like how it seems like either way... Uh, the 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 roots of the, of the slot machine may descend back to Bavarian
1: cuckoo clocks and uh, <laughs> and you know old German automatons. Yeah, it's beautiful. And also, I've read some interesting things about the the idea of intellectual property in the origins of slot machines because these early uh, producers and uh, you know manufacturers of slot machines were ripping each other off all the time, but. I mean, what could you do about it? I want to take you to court to, you know, to sue your patent infringement on my illegal machine. Oh yeah. So we should, we should probably really describe the slot
0: machine for yeah. anyone who's not that familiar with it. I mean, outside of course of our, you know, of our carnival barker uh, skit at the opening of the uh, episode.
1: Yeah, we assume you've probably seen one, but just in case you haven't, it looks usually like this, or at least traditionally like this. You've got a big mechanical box in front of you. And it has a coin slot and a lever and a series of reels with images on them, usually three reels, but though that can vary in different machines of today. Uh, and they're kind of like the number wheels on a combination lock. You know, they can scroll through, mm-hmm. uh, usually vertically scroll through. And when you pull the lever, the reels begin to spin wildly before eventually slowing down and stopping. And the reels are full of images, also referred to as stops. And what you're looking for is which images line up when the reel stops spinning. And they line up across a line that's called the pay line. Typically, of course, you want the three reels on the images to match, though different machines have different payout combination schemes. Sometimes there's one image that pays you something no matter what every time it shows up. And the question is, what are the odds of a match? So assuming the images or stops on all the reels are weighted the same, it actually should be a pretty simple multiplication of probability. So I came up with an example. Let's say you're playing an alien-themed machine. It's Ah. a three-reel slot machine modeled after the cast of the movie Alien, so it has eight stops per reel, uh, one for each of the seven crew members of the Nostromo and one for the Alien. And the way you'd calculate the probability of, of hitting a jackpot, of lining up three images on this, would be one-eighth, because there are eight stops, times one-eighth, times one-eighth, three times for the three reels, which leaves you a probability of one out of 512. So let's say you get that one chance out of 512, you get three Ripleys or something. Mm-hmm. If you do, the machine pays out, usually by dumping the coins inside, either all of them or some established subset of them, into a place where you can collect them and then promptly begin putting them back in the machine one at a time. I love this idea for uh, a slot machine because Uh it also
0: involves essentially a parasitic, uh, life-destroying organism and uh, and a wonderful uh, uh, anthropomorphizing sci-fi analogy.
1: Oh, the implications of the parasitism did not escape me when I dreamed this up. But, yeah, so the mechanical spinning reels on early slot machines did not usually have the cast of Alien in them. They had images like playing suit symbols, so, you know, like playing cards, uh, spade, club, heart, diamond. The classic iconography of gambling. Uh-huh. At the time. They also had horseshoes, uh, stars, and bells. I was wondering, where did all the fruit come from? yeah because that I mean that even like Mario yeah. yeah cherries what are they sometimes grapes or plums or mm-hmm. something pineapples why are these things in the slot machines we think of today even I think in the UK slot machines are often referred to as fruit machines yes fruit machines. Well, I read an interesting story about the origin of this. Apparently, because of the moral stigma of gambling in in the early days of the early 1900s, there were frequent attempts to ban or eliminate slot machines, and there were lots of sneaky attempts to circumvent this. So companies would come up with a slot machine that wasn't exactly like the other slot machines that came before in some way, try to, trying to find a loophole around the law, mm-hmm. or at least around the uh, easy enforcement of the law. And in 1909, a company called the Industry Novelty Company built slot machines, but called them chewing gum dispensers, uh, with the fruit symbols corresponding to flavors of gum that uh. you could win as your payout though uh, some of these fruit-dispensing slot machines might also sometimes pay out in coins. Uh, The year after that 1909 machine, so in 1910, the Mills Novelty Company added a picture of a chewing gum pack to their machine reels, and apparently this image morphed into the bar symbol that we all Ah. know and recognize today on slot machines.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I was also reading how... um the uh, the the gum machine aspect of the slot machines also evolved, uh, allowed the uh, the machines to roll back into a more legal form when mm-hmm. uh, laws changed. So uh, the San Francisco earthquake of 1906 destroyed most local slot machine manufacturers, and California banned the use of slot machines altogether in 1911. Um, and so to stay in business, the manufacturers revamped the slot machines as gum vending machines. Uh-huh. So. Uh, it's, it's interesting. They're almost kind of like transformers, um, shifting in and out of acceptable forms.
1: Right. So, of course, the original machines were all mechanical. This was before mm-hmm. the days of electronics, and they'd have you know mechanical systems, gears in place that would try to to pay out the correct amounts uh, to keep the probabilities in check. Later, that became easier when you had electromechanical machines, especially I think adding electronics. Eliminated some of the possibility that people could kind of mess with the machines uh, in a way to add an element of skill that isn't supposed to be there. Uh, there are stories, I don't know how accurate they are, that Back in the old days, if you knew how to pull the lever just right and twist the machine just right, you could ensure a payout. Mm. Uh, don't know if that's true, but but apparently people thought so, though maybe people think that about the machines of today, and they're quite wrong.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say that you can easily imagine that in the the sort of almost magical thinking that goes into the uh, the logical nature of the gambler.
1: Yeah, and of course now the machines tend to be fully electronic, so they've got computerized logic, random number generators – and they're perfect now, so they manage payouts always within the correct probability ranges. Uh, more widely today, computerized slot machines are a subtype of electronic gaming machines. And what role do they play in the gambling of today? Now, when you think of a casino, chances are, I bet you think of a slot machine.
0: Yeah, because you think of that, just that big, like that big room that's yeah. just filled with them, just a perfect like, grid of slot machines. And yeah. their various
1: human hosts. Yeah, it's almost like a like a grocery store aisle. You mm-hmm. know, people just line up to.
0: Now, have you used one of these machines before?
1: I actually have. I I've been to a casino once in Tunica, Mississippi, <laughs> uh, and I I didn't play the machines very much. I mean, I I played a very little bit on them, but I observed a lot of people playing the machines. And it's very interesting watching the phenomenon of, of how people behave, like their posture and their facial expressions while they're using slot machines. I, I, I know we're going to talk about this in a bit that people often report that they, they understand that the odds are against them on these machines and they use the machines for enjoyment and entertainment, but when you watch people play them very often, I, you don't see much excitement or, or reaction. People very often appear sort of hypnotized. They're yeah. locked in the zone. They're not blinking much. Their faces are kind of expressionless, and they're just working the machine.
0: Yeah, it, it, it makes me wonder like, what my face looks like when I'm playing a video game.
1: Yeah, I thought um, about
0: that too. But, but, but even then, I know that I have at times found myself playing a game where I ask myself, am I enjoying this? Or has this just become a tedious thing that I have to win at in order to call it a day? Right.
1: You forgot there was a life outside the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: and I feel like maybe that's the the mindset that one can fall into with a slot machine. Yeah. Now, I've never actually tried one out uh not a real one outside of the the, the, the video games but i have seen the the rooms uh so I, I know a little bit
1: about what you're talking about here well maybe this will prevent us from ever getting a good casino sponsorship on this show in the future <laughs> but i can attest that they're not really that rewarding hmm. and yeah, I, I mean indeed when you look at the payback percentage which again
0: is tied oh yeah
1: is, i meant emotionally oh and emotion. of course oh, of course <laughs> materially they're not that
0: rewarding yeah Because, um, yeah, when you look at the the payback percentage, which, again, is determined by an algorithm, um, you see uh, varying levels of payout. Like
1: some of the sources I was looking at, it was between 70% and 90%. Yeah, one of the main studies we're going to talk about in this episode cited uh, 70% to 90%. I've seen common percentages more like 80-something percent to 95%. And in the U.S., I I, I at least get the sense that this often seems connected to state regulations. I Mm -hmm. think some states say your slot machines in the state need to pay between this number and this number. Yeah, they can only be so
0: evil. Um, (laughs) But it's important to note that any payback percentage under 100% implies that people who play more at the slot machine lose more money.
1: Yeah, so if you sat down and just continued putting infinite amounts of money into this machine and never left it, you would always statistically come out behind. You would play to extinction. Exactly right. So what role do slot machines play in the in the larger picture of the gambling economy today? I think it's interesting that according to what I've read, slot machines used to be a sort of entertaining diversion to keep people in your saloon drinking your beverages. Mm -hmm. And then after that, after they were employed in casinos, they seem to have served as a kind of low-stakes alternative to the traditional casino games, you know, the table games like blackjack, craps, and poker. Slot machines don't require any skill. You don't have to study probabilities. You don't have to count cards. You don't have to learn how to bluff. Uh, And you also, you don't have as much intimidating personal interaction. Like, you don't have to square off against that scary, ice-cold professionalism of the blackjack dealer, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about the predatory menace of the other poker players who are trying to get your pot
0: it's a great um, g- gateway. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm walking in here. I'm a newcomer. I have no idea what gambling consists of. But here's this machine where yeah. even if I humiliate myself, it's just between me and the machine.
1: Yeah, and it's so easy. You just pull a lever or you press a button and you watch the colors settle into place. And it doesn't require a large bet, at least not all at once. It's It feels safe and cheap to start out, at least. But, of course, now slot machines are huge business. Yeah, I was reading that it's
0: estimated that uh, slot machines generate over 70 percent of the average casino's
1: income. So more than all the table games. Yeah. Roulette, blackjack, uh, you know, uh, craps, poker. Yeah, they, it's, it's, it's really like an evolution.
0: This thing that started off as just this mere diversion becomes the driving uh, uh, force in, uh, in casino economy.
1: Yeah, and I wonder what the explanation for that is. Like, is there just something inherent to the slot machine model that is very alluring? Or is that that slot machines as machines have been improved and improved until they're just the most perfect place to gamble in a casino? Essentially, are, are slot machines of today more advanced than the blackjack tables of today?
0: Yeah, I think they are. I mean, because it's it's so it 's so dependent on the the technology and the uh and the delivery of the the user experience i can 't help but think of it in terms of uh, of dune since i 'm reading right. uh, rereading dune right now and, oh
1: uh, update to the listeners i 'm almost done with dune i 've got like okay. fifty pages left okay, I'm, cool. I'm probably going to finish it tonight oh excellent
0: well i can't help but think of this in terms of the um, the whole prohibition against thinking machines in the dune universe the valerian oh, yeah. jihad where you know they wipe out um, thinking machines and it's it's it seems as much uh, my interpretation of it. It seems as much about like destroying a, uh, a machine like way of thinking and using machines to be human. But uh, but in that world, you can't have thinking com- computers anymore. So instead, you have mentats. You have humans that are essentially human computers that can you know that can compute uh, you yeah. know, large numbers and and various uh, factors inside their own
1: head. The blackjack dealer is a mentat.
0: Yeah, he or she is, and. Also a mentat is the card counter who walks into the casino right. and then is asked to leave the casino <laughs> when it's revealed that they are winning through pure logic and through mental ability. So it's uh so that's that's not allowed. The human um uh Perfection of thought is not allowed within the casino, but the slot machine is the mechanical, the electronic perfection of thought, and that is, of course, allowed by house rules to do its damage.
1: Well, you can't count cards at a slot machine. That's true. There's no way to beat the machine. And this is something that's going to come up in the research we cite in a bit. People who think they have a way to beat the machine are wrong. Some people might think this way, but they're wrong. You can't beat the machine. It is a mindless, completely unchangeable algorithm. No way of pressing the button. No ritual you can perform or, or a way you can jiggle the bottom of the machine. Nothing's going to change it.
0: You know, real quick, I do want to mention that um, that when it comes to payback on a machine, the the idea of the jackpot uh, wasn't invented until 1916. Um, and that that's when we have this idea that the machine will spit out all of its coins if you get that that very lucky combination
1: and of course multiplying on the idea of the jackpot you got these modern conceptions of something like the super jackpot right where multiple machines are all contributing to this huge number that eventually somebody's going to win it's kind of like playing the lottery yeah uh, you know it's a small investment and it's maybe not even a medium-sized payout maybe maybe you could get that gigantic payout that'll set you up for lottery. Life. Yeah, and that just
0: plays into the, to the nefarious nature of the machine, right? That you have this this uh, almost legendary mythological uh, payout that's possible by manipulating this one
1: device. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how high these, uh, these super jackpots can get.
0: Um, there was one in 2003, uh, according to my notes, that uh, paid out at nearly $40 million. So, Not bad. Yeah, and uh, of course, then again, you think of that payout, and that sounds huge, but... Remember that the machine never really loses. So just imagine how much money it guzzled right. for that to be an acceptable payout. Yeah. Which also then, of course, adds to the mythology of what kind of uh, a payout the average gambler might expect.
1: Well, it's just another version of thinking, man, how can this casino afford to give me a free room and a free buffet? Yeah, because you're you're paying like triple for it, at least. Yeah. Well, anyway, we've we've reached a point in the history of gambling where slot machine play is now considered one of the most addictive forms of gambling. It is powerful. It's insidious. It knows exactly how to work us. We're not playing the slot machines. They're playing us. Uh, One great example is that we we looked at one study that – Showed that we don't. We're not even aware that we're losing necessarily when we play certain slot machines, right? That's right. Yeah,
0: there's a 2011 paper titled "Losses Disguised as Wins in Modern Multi-Line Video Slot Machines," and this was published in the Journal Addiction. And so it, the, the main uh, nut of this is that uh, so you're a novice player. You walk in, you check out one of these slot machines, and there are all these bells and whistles and lights and cartoon characters and pharaohs, you know, what have you, just flashing at you. And uh, and it's giving you uh, you know a sense of emotional arousal when you win. Yeah. But it's also giving you a sense of emotional arousal, arousal even when you're losing money because. <laughs> For instance, let's say you put in, a, I, I probably have the amounts here wrong, but let's say you put in 50 cents into the machine, right? Uh-huh. And, then, uh, and then, whoa, celebration, lights are flashing, s- horns are, 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 are blaring because you just won 25 cents. Yeah. You actually, you, you lost money, but the machine is celebrating it and giving you an emotional arousal based on your loss. It was disguising your loss as a win, and then you keep going because now you're
1: just more invested. So, you have these machines that allow you to make five bets at the same time and say you win on one of them and it pays back double you 're still behind you 're still losing, but you you won something yeah you 're doing pretty good, you know yeah, so you just put some more coins in but another type of study I wanted to talk about, and this will actually refer to some older studies that I think are sort of foundational in the in the history of gambling studies is about the irrationality of gambling. What's going on in the mind of the gambler? So here's the situation. Unless you are incredibly skilled at a perhaps certain type of game where your skills give you an edge over the odds, this might be something like, Poker, where you're playing against other players, not necessarily against mm-hmm. the house, where the odds are set against you. Uh, though even in this case, this is going to be somewhat debatable. You probably think you're a better poker player than you actually are. Yeah, you're probably
0: not really the mintat threat that you think you
1: are. To you the are house. Not you are not the Thufir Hawat of poker. Yeah. Uh, walking into a casino is almost never a good investment unless you're just planning to scam a free buffet and not play any games. Mm-hmm. there's a reason casinos make money. As we've said, the odds are always against you. The long-term probabilities always favor the house. But slot machines are a really, really, especially unlikely way to get a payoff. And furthermore, this should not be news to anybody because everybody knows the odds are against them. Yeah,
0: it's not a secret that uh, slot machines are are a poor use of your, your time and money.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so if your goal as a gambler is to... Let's say knowingly spend a little money just to have an experience, you know, maybe to feel the thrill of a risk and chase the ghost of a win. Mm -hmm. That might make some sense. But if your goal is to make money, and for many slot machine players and gamblers in general, this does seem to be the goal. You are acting irrationally. There's There's not a different perspective about it. The odds are against you. It's a mathematical truth that you are being irrational and you're going to lose. So what does the thinking of a slot machine player look like who's in this situation? Historically, studies have looked into this, but it's kind of a difficult problem because how do you judge what's going on in a gambler's head while he or she is gambling? This is especially difficult because you can't necessarily expect people to reflectively self-report their attitudes and thought processes accurately. You know, if you ask people after a gambling session – you know, did you expect to win? They might be rationalizing losses by saying, no, no, I know it's just for entertainment. Or they might not even realize what cognitive processes are governing their behavior while they're sitting at the machine. Yeah, I mean, it's almost
0: kind of like if you were to quiz somebody about their late night browser history, you uh-huh. know, uh, in the, the in the light of the, the waking day, you know, because the, they're going to be a little removed from who they were when they were browsing those particular sites. Uh, there's kind of a... Uh, you know, a, a de- like a depressurization uh-huh. uh, to some to various experiences in life, where you you kind of let yourself uh, become seduced by, say, the lights and the environment of the casino, and and being the gambler as opposed to the individual who's just you know quizzed about his or her gambling on the street the next day, and that's not even factoring in any feelings
1: of shame or regret you might have. Sure, and. I mean, yeah, I think it's worth thinking about as really being in another state of mind. I mean, can you always remember exactly how you were thinking when you were on drugs? Yeah. There have been several studies that used a method that tried to get it, the the thinking, the cognition of, of people who were in the act of gambling, by using a method we might call the speaking aloud approach. And one often cited study of this kind is from 1992, and it's called Irrational Thinking Among Slot Machine Players from the Journal of Gambling Studies by Michael B. Walker of the University of Sydney. So this is an older study, but I think the results are still interesting and worth talking about because it's often cited in the field. So the experiment was researchers recruited 27 university students who regularly played one of three types of electronic games. So you had people who played slot machines, you had people who played video poker, they called video draw poker, and then they played uh another group played what they called video amusement games, <laughs> which from what I could tell I think just meant video games okay, like without... arcade games without a gambling component. Okay. That makes sense because, yeah, we, we keep thinking about like slot machines versus video games. So
0: it makes sense that that would be uh, that, that would be the comparison.
1: Yeah. And so the participants broke down as nine slot machine players, eight video poker players and nine video amusement players, assuming that just means like arcade game players. And all the players uh, played each of the three types of games for 20 or 30 minutes, starting with their preferred game for 30 minutes. So slot machine player played slot machines for 30 minutes uh, and then went on to play the other types of games for 30 or 20 minutes. And they were instructed to explain their thoughts out loud to a microphone tape recorder while they were playing. The exact instructions were, and I quote, We want to know how you're playing the game. We want you to talk all the time so we know what you are thinking about while you are playing the game. When you are ready, we will begin recording. So they recorded them talking while they were gambling or playing the video game. And then afterwards, they listened to these uh, to these recordings, and they categorized all the statements the people made into five different types. One was descriptive, so this is the player just describing what's happening. Okay. One is rational, and this is a statement of strategy that is correct or optimal with respect to winning uh, in relation to the structure of the game. That's how they described it. The other one would be irrational so this is a statement of strategy that is incorrect or is uh or it's an attempt to influence the outcome of the game in a way that won't actually work the way that they said is inappropriate <laughs> um the other is emotional that's just expressing feelings and then they had a category for other like nonverbal vocalizations for i guess when you just say like ah! so irrational
0: an example of that would be like if I were to say all right, it's got to, it's gonna pay out. It's gotta pay out. Like next next time, I've just lost yeah. so much. It's I've got to win the next one.
1: Yeah, that, that'd be a great example. Another example of irrational thinking was uh, anthropomorphizing or mm. personalizing the machine. So saying things like "Come on, baby," or Come to mama, or <laughs> you owe me, or you, owe me. you pay me, and I'll pay you. Those were all quoted in the study. <laughs> you pay me. I'm going to reset the terms like the, of our art, relationship. The bargain, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't bargain with the machine. <laughs> Let me reprogram you with my mind. <laughs> uh, so once the statements were categorized, the results indicated that uh, the highest rate of irrational statements were produced by slot players playing slot machines and the lowest were uh, amusement gamers playing their video games. So people were much more likely to produce irrational statements if they were regular slot machine players playing slot machines currently.
0: Interesting. Like I'm thinking back on video game playing that I've done in the past and I can definitely remember times where it stops being fun, and it begins about it begins to be just about like beating the level, and even uh, you know applying some level of irrational and emotional thought to it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and anthropomorphizing the game, yeah. uh, in ways that go beyond merely getting into character or story.
1: Yeah, though much more often the people playing regular video games were making rational statements about mm-hmm. strategy. They're saying like, "Oh, I think I need to jump on that thing," or you know, it's something that's actually rational with respect to what's happening in the game. Gotcha. And I'm just going to read a quote about their results. So they said, out of all the statements made by slot machine players when playing slot machines, 38% were categorized as irrational. Furthermore, 80% of strategic statements made by slot machine players while playing slot machines were categorized as irrational. Uh. Though I think one interesting uh, qualification of this is what rational statements about strategy could you make? while playing a slot machine. Yeah, because I mean you no can strategy. you can make yeah. a few. I mean, I guess you can just say I guess I'll play double bets this time uh, as long as you're not indicating that you think you are controlling outcomes when you're not or something like that. But Yeah,
0: and so many of those irrational statements are going to play directly into the mythology of the slot machine. Right. Uh, you know, where it's where, where the mythology of the slot machine is that if you you double down and you keep playing that it's going to pay off.
1: Yeah. And so another study published in 2000 in the Journal of Psychology was called Predictors of Irrational Thinking in Regular Slot Machine Players. And it followed up on these results, uh, testing more slot machine gamblers with that same talk aloud method. Though I think it's worth mentioning at this point that uh, both of these studies called out the potential limitations of the talk aloud method like the the requirement to talk aloud about a game since it's an unnatural activity could be skewing results or subjective attitudes in the participants you you always want to be careful about these kind of things that you might be getting incorrect feedback because of the test conditions mm-hmm. But at least with that qualification in mind, uh, this study was generally consistent with the previous findings, and they showed that strategic statements made about slot machine gaming were very often irrational. 14% of all statements made were irrational, and 75% of all game-related or strategic verbalizations were irrational. And then I thought this was really interesting. They offered different categories of irrational statements. And showed what percentage of irrational statements they made up. So one category they had was like superstitious rituals, hypotheses, or predictions. So this is, would be like I got to rub my, uh, my 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 uh, rabbit's foot,
0: or I, had, I need to lick the machine before I play it. That's right. It,
1: these are all just false strategies mm-hmm. th- of thinking you can influence the outcomes of the machine, or uh, or predictions based on things that that had no validity. So, so, like the gambler's fallacy, I think would be part of this. And yeah. Like, oh, if I've just lost a bunch of times in a row, I'm due. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, And this was 59% of all irrational statements. So this is a lot of them. Another one that I thought was really interesting was uh, the category called inappropriate rationalization of near misses. (laughs) The way they explained this was they said uh, these statements classified as irrational implied the player believed the machine was cheating or stopping them from winning by not providing all the winning symbols. And that's that's interesting
0: because it kind of gets to the heart of it, but it's like the machine, yes, the machine is cheating you, but it's cheating you in a very systematic way, not in this clumsy way
1: that you're attributing. Right, exactly. So they're calling out capricious cheating when actually it's very methodical cheating. Yeah. Uh, The other uh, big category was personification of the machine. This Mm -hmm. is 24% of all irrational statements. And this is what it sounds like. It's any statement where the player is trying to make a bargain with the machine or attribute thoughts or emotions to it Mm -hmm. or sometimes like yelling insults at the machine. These were also classified as irrational. And then the other 12% were uh, statements that were belief in personal luck. Ah uh, yes. Though a thing I thought was interesting was they said they didn't find any references to personal skill, so at least the gamblers weren't saying things that suggested that they thought skill was involved in the playing of slot machines.
0: Yeah, tell them almost more like a, you know, a religious act. Like the the slot machine becomes this uh, this uh, this this metaphor for our interaction with the world and with our life.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely a good way of putting it. There there are hidden forces at work. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking for correlated predictors of irrationality in this study. They're like, okay, are there other conditions that if these hold, you're more likely to see irrational behavior sitting in front of the slot machine? And uh, so one thing they looked for and did not find is a correlation between the percentage of wins and irrationality. So it doesn't matter how much you win. That doesn't change how irrational you are they did find a correlation between risk-taking and irrationality. The players who bet more at a time and took higher risks generated more irrational statements in general, uh, though not necessarily when analyzed specifically with regard to strategic statements, just Mm -hmm. the general statements. But from both of these studies, there's an ongoing tension between the fact that slot machine gamblers Often seem to display irrational behaviors while they're in the act. So you're sitting there in front of the slot machine, gambling, and you're being irrational. But then when you're not in the act of playing, you report rational attitudes toward the activity. So after you get out of the casino and you're giving a survey, you know, you're answering questions about the act of gambling, You will say things that indicate you realize it's pure chance, you're likely to lose, you're not likely to win money, you have no way of influencing the machine. I don't know. I think that's interesting, like the the disconnect between our cognition while we're playing and our cognition when we're not playing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you're ensorcelled, right? It's like talking to the sailor who gets dragged into the water by the siren every day. And uh, on the shore, he's like, yeah, I know that she's part fish and that she's basically just hypnotizing me and trying to drag me to a watery death. Uh Um, I I know all that stuff. Why do do we have to drag you out of the water every day? Why why does uh, she continue to control you so?
1: Yeah, there was an interesting paper that I just looked at briefly from 2010 that referred to exactly this disconnect, this going back and forth between modes of cognition and referred to it as double switching. Hmm. But that's, of course, just looking at the mind of the gambler. Another element that very much comes into gambling is looking at not necessarily the mind, but the perceived mind of the machine.
0: Yes, this is really interesting. And there's a 2015 study it just came out from the University of Milano Bicocca uh, from researchers uh, Paolo Riva, Simona Sachi, and Marco Brambella. And uh, there's actually a great quote in here that uh, invokes another mythological creature. They say, it is possible that, similar to how in ancient mythology, challengers perceived the Sphinx as possessing a human-like mind and intelligence, the gambling industry is selling customers a challenge against a mind rather than just a machine or a computer algorithm.
1: So it's the best of both worlds. It's like you get to combine the safety and low stakes and, and kind of comfort zone aspects of the slot machine with the thrill of playing against another player in poker. Right.
0: Yeah, it's um, and it's, so we've we've mentioned personifying the machine already. So this paper yeah. is not the first to discuss anthropomorphization and, uh, and slot machine gambling.
1: No, like I said in those earlier papers, they found personifying mm-hmm. the machine was very common. Yeah, but
0: this is the this is the first to really um, look at, at how anthropomorphism uh, plays into the excitement engagement level and how it affects uh, uh, how much money you end up losing in the venture.
1: Yeah, I know I've seen, especially based on some of the stuff you dug up, that past designs of slot machines have very much tried to suggest humanity in, in just the look and feel of the machine.
0: Yeah, the, like the paper mentioned, oh, yeah, you'll, you'll see these uh, slot machines and they'll have pharaohs and women and muscle men on them, and that's all well and good. But I was not expected to find what I found when I was looking in Getty images, uh, a, a 1952, uh, I believe, image of a blonde bombshell – which is essentially, imagine, a, kind of a Marilyn Monroe-looking pinup mannequin. And then there's just a slot machine that they slide into her torso. And she's just standing.
1: It's horrifying. Yeah.
0: It's, she's just standing in a, uh, I believe it was a Death Valley, California uh, bar or gas station or something.
1: Now, is this a, a uh, sexualized figure of a woman that just happens to have a lever poking out of it? Or is the lever like her arm or something?
0: Oh, no, it's just a lever. It's like, <laughs> it's... It, it, like it it's it's almost as if you were to take like a corpse and just like slab a <laughs> a gambling machine in the middle you know it's just there's it's not an artful um convergence of the female form and the gambling machine. It's very rough and heavy handed and uh and yet seems to call out to you and say, "Hey, play this gambling machine,
1: woman, yeah." Let us transparently manipulate your brain.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, also, I, I was I noticed on one of the sites we were looking at that had a lot of, uh, like, retro slot machine collectibles, uh, the guy there was sent, selling a bandit head from a one-armed bandit. What? A yeah. bandit head. Yeah, you could buy it for 150 bucks on eBay, but It's uh, explicitly claiming to rob you. Yeah, it's the one-armed bandit. So let's just go ahead and put this uh, you know, this head <laughs> on top like a papier-mâché head with a cowboy hat and then you can go uh, duel with it. Yeah. But the thing is that the thing about anthropomorphization and anthropomorphism in general is that it permeates everything we do, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh and it's paradoxical at times. Like it's the it's at once it's the force that makes it easier to kick a garbage can because mm-hmm. you think it's a person, yeah. you know, like you, you, you make that garbage can, you personify it as a, somebody you're mad at and you kick it. But also if you draw a face on a garbage can, it makes it a little harder to kick the garbage can because it's you've, you've given it some sort of like innocent uh, personhood.
1: Oh, I mean, I bet you treat your computer like a person sometimes. You don't really think it has a mind and emotions, but sometimes it feels that way when it's slow, when it's lagging, when mm-hmm. it's causing you problems. This person is messing up your day. They are are so annoying.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's also, of course, a huge part, if not the key part of our religious thinking and our religious worldviews where we attribute consciousness. To the universe. We anthropomorphize the universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, either in the form of a single deity or in a, an array of deities representing various personified aspects of reality.
1: Well, I think that's something that complicates this view of looking at slot machines as, as agents or as people. Again, n- nobody really thinks the slot machine is a person. right? But they can start thinking in those ways. And then there's also a complicated interplay between... The, the ghost of the person you imagine is in the slot machine and this sort of larger universal ghost, you know, Lady Luck, the, the, the mind of the universe that's handing out wins and losses. And to what extent is that the machine itself or is that this third external force that's watching over the both of you?
0: Yeah, indeed. So the researchers in this 2015 study, this is what they did. They, uh, first they, they did, they did four experiments in total, but the first three were with a small study. So like a very small sample size, really a quasi study. Mm-hmm. Uh, participants were um, a group of 15 regular slot machine players and a group of 15 non-regular slot machine players. And then what they did is they primed the individuals uh, before they interacted with these machines, so all the um, anthropomorphization that's taking place here it's not it doesn't involve any physical anthropomorphization there are no heads, there are no mannequins it's all about priming them with a, with a description
1: yeah they're just given text yeah, but the text actually proved pretty interesting in how it affected the way they thought about the game and their relationship with the machine. I think we should actually read out the text because I think the differences are interesting. Okay. This
0: is the anthropomorphizing priming text from study one. Remember that when you play with a slot machine, you don't need to implement any particular strategy. Indeed, the slot machine can decide whether you will win or lose a series of bets any time she wants. Sometimes she may choose to make fun of you, leaving you empty-handed for several bets. Other times, she might want to reward you with a win. In any case, the slot machine will always choose what will happen.
1: You just have to start playing and see what happens. So some people got that one. Other people got... Remember that when you play a slot machine, you don't need to implement any particular strategy. Instead, the slot machine is controlled by a mathematical algorithm that is programmed to deliver a certain overall number of wins and losses. Based on this algorithm, you can win or lose a series of bets. In any case, the outcome of each turn of the reels is always run by a computer algorithm. You just have to start playing and see what happens. So both are
0: saying essentially the same thing. Yeah. there's There's a force here that's already in play. And you cannot win
1: against it. But in one case, it's she. And Mm -hmm. in the other case, it's it.
0: Yeah, they found that that an anthropomorphized description of the slot machine increased gambling behavior and reduced winnings. And winnings, of course, decreased because the gamblers were gambling more on the anthropomorphized machines. Another
1: moral about gambling. The longer you play, the more you'll lose. Yeah, and
0: that's all it takes. Just get the individual playing more and they will lose more.
1: Playing to extinction.
0: Yeah, so the first study they did was more about just the time you invested in it. Yeah, there I don't wasn't, think there it any wasn't. It was money. Yeah, yeah. the uh, The second study that one involved real money or points, and study three tested the emotional experience of the game. Okay, um, study three provided initial evidence of a link between anthropomorphism of slot machines with the participants' emotional experience. And their actual gambling behavior, but specifically found that slot machine anthropomorphism increases the experience of positive emotions, which leads people to gamble more. Now, the fourth study, this is where they took what they learned from the first three, and they applied it to a much larger group, this time 200 individuals. And they used candies instead of money or points or anything. So this is a key though. Unlike Study Three, Study Four did not provide support for their hypothesis that priming participants with an anthropomorphic slot machine intrinsically results in a stronger emotional reaction, except for low arousal negative emotions such as fatigue. Yeah, I'm so, tired. Yeah. So, and the researchers aren't exactly sure why uh, this why they weren't able to to repeat the same effect in Study Four that they found about, in Study Three about the emotions, right? About the emotion. Uh, They think that might be because of different measures
1: they were using um, between three and four. So more study is required there. But the anthropomorphization, the personification of the slot machine definitely did affect playing like the length of playtime and the losses as a result of the length of playtime.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the the key take homes here, Uh, you know, along with uh, just some of the key points that came out of the paper that uh, people exposed to a humanized slot machine lost more points compared to people exposed to non-humanized slot machines. Yeah, that uh, anthropomorphization resulted in greater loss of slot machine payouts. The people primed with a humanized slot machine lost more slot machine payouts because they went on playing longer. And uh, the theory is that it's all about emotional arousal, which increases focus and engagement forcing gamblers to gamble more. That was the interpretation
1: right. that they applied to their emotional results, though there was, like you said, there was some discrepancy in the emotional results.
0: Yeah. And then the final like, take home from this study is that the other side of the coin is that just as you can potentially prime somebody with anthropomorphizing uh, text and make them gamble more, that this might be a way to to, uh, to treat gambling behavior.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to discourage people from spending their life savings on a slot machine, it perhaps could help or at least mitigate the effects just to constantly remind people that it's a machine working by an algorithm. Yeah, like – Of course, the casinos don't want to do that. Yeah. They want you to play to extinction, but – I don't know. I think the idea is maybe that a law could require casinos to, I don't know, emphasize the impersonality of slot machines.
0: Yeah. Like imagine, I think of the legislation that takes place around uh, cigarettes and tobacco, right? Yeah. You often, you know, it's, it's about like, let's make make it less sexy, make it less appealing, uh, put a big scary warning on it. I mean, realistic warning on it about the, the ill effects. Yeah. Like what if that was applied to a slot machine where you cannot anthropomorphize it? It has to be less flashy, and there has to be a big uh, a big plate on the front of it that tells you this is all about the algorithm, and you are not yeah. going to
1: win. Surgeon General's warning, there is no fickle god or goddess inside this machine. Right. <laughs> One of the other interesting things about the study, though, was that it only looked at uh, verbal priming, like we said, so people were either given a a verbal description saying it's just an algorithm or a verbal description saying ah she wants to reward you sometimes she takes your money the other times it would be interesting to see the results of visual priming along these lines like a machine that just looks like a flat blank machine or a machine that's like our like our Marilyn Monroe machine it's very much dressed up to look like a human and given uh, given expressive visual emotions
0: yeah or i was looking at some some youtube clips of just various slots and a lot of them have like one I was looking at like it wasn't just fruit and symbols rolling by, but also like a, a barbarian woman with a panther, you know. So like what? If, what? <laughs> what? If, yeah, like she's uh like like the top half of her like ends up syncing up with the bottom half, so it's essentially okay. like a a bikini woman is one of the uh, the icons on the slots.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Another interesting finding I thought was that they pointed out in their discussion section that while they were able to get in all cases anthropomorphic thinking elevated by priming people with this, uh, with this pro-anthropomorphization text, Anthropomorphization was present in both groups. Yeah. So even the people who were given the text that says it's just an algorithm, it's just a machine, still showed some anthropomorphic thinking. They still attributed some beliefs and feelings and, and thoughts to the machine uh, less than the other group. But there were still some there. And that suggests that there's an inherent tendency to personalize the machine, even when you're discouraged from doing so.
0: Yeah, all the machines are doing when they throw on a head or or any uh, colorful imagery is they're just they're, they're just encouraging the pre-existing tendency.
1: You know, the idea about these different ways of viewing the machine makes me think of something I read about in the philosopher Daniel Dennett's uh, writings before where mm-hmm. he talks about the idea of the the three major stances that we take in reference to external objects, which are the physical stance, the design stance, and the intentional stance. And it's a way of understanding and predicting what, uh, what third party objects are gonna do. And so if you say see rocks rolling down a hill, you tend to think of this in what he would call the physical stance. It's right. just, it's just acting by physics and you can pretty much predict that they're gonna keep rolling downhill. When you look at an, uh, maybe an organism or, uh, or an object or something, you can think about it in terms of the design stance. So like an alarm clock is designed to act a certain way or an organism is designed by evolution to, uh, to achieve a certain purpose. And you can think about it uh, in those terms because they have goals in mind. And it mm-hmm. sort of simplifies the factors we need to take into consideration when predicting behavior. And then the third stance is the intentional stance. That's how we think about agents. So it would be like a person or a thinking uh, or a thinking animal. It, it has things it wants to do. And I think the idea is that. You can apply all three stances to something like a slot machine. Like, it is governed by underlying physics, and if you wanted to get really detailed, you could look at the physics of all the electronics inside and how they determine what the machine does. You could look at it in the design stance, whereas it was made by a person who... To eat your money. To eat your money, and it does that very well. Or you could look at it from the intentional stance, and you could say it is an agent that wants to sometimes reward you with uh, with with happy happy money times, and other times it will punish you for your hubris.
0: What I love about this is that both the physical and the intention model are wrong here. Like, only the design of you is the one that actually gives you a realistic idea of what this machine Uh is going to do to you.
1: Well, I think you could say that the physical stance is not necessarily wrong, it's just unnecessary. Like, there's no reason you would need to look at the physics of what every electron inside the machine is doing Mm -hmm. to understand it.
0: Yeah, but but I think it the, the physical doesn't give you a, a clear mind of like what it's going to do to you. Yeah, like exactly. What, what it, it is designed like the design is it doesn't give you the form.
1: tele the teleology of the slot machine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's interesting, uh, but yeah. So the idea here is that w- we we can be primed to regard a slot machine within the intentional stance. But ideally, if you want to have people not spending so much money on slot machines, you want to remind them to think about it through the design stance. The design stance is is such a mood killer for mm-hmm. slot machines. You know, whenever you're made to think about what the slot machine is designed to do, it it kills the magic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, you you see through the the facade to uh, to the, the nefarious purpose.
1: Yeah, another thing the anthropomorphization makes me think about is the future of electronic gambling, especially when combined with future generations of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what happens when the slot machine is not just. uh In engaging in passive anthropomorphization, but also, but like active personification to where it's actually it's talking back to you, it's engaging with you, it's it's essentially a chatterbox, yeah, uh, trying to uh, to get you to gamble more through conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, imagine the perfect AI chatterbot, uh, you know, slot machine of 2050 or whatever, it's it's uh, it's the Lady Luck slot machine. And she chats oh so charmingly mm-hmm. while she takes your coins one at a time. Or these days, I don't know if it's often even coins. I think you get like, uh, you know, in the casinos of today, you might get like a card that has a certain mm-hmm. amount of credits on it, and it slowly deducts just little bits at a time.
0: Ah, little bits at a time. Well, there you have it. Slot machines. The design... The, uh, the purpose, a little bit of the history, and, of course, our, our scientific uh, exploration of slot machine usage and gambling behavior uh, from a psychological standpoint. So, uh, hey, it, we would love to hear from any and all of you on this. I know uh, there are individuals out there that listen to the show who have history with slot machines. Some of you may even have, uh, uh, you know, have past problems with uh, gambling addiction and therefore have some uh, some feedback you want to give us uh some personal accounts you want to share with us and uh, and if you want us to share it without using your real name just leave leave a note uh, to that effect and we will honor it uh, you can find us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the mothership. That's where you'll find all the episodes, podcasts, videos, blog posts, you name it, as well as uh, links out to our social media accounts such as Tumblr, Facebook, and Twitter. We are
1: Blow the Mind on all of those. And if you want to get in touch with us with any of those stories Robert mentioned or any other feedback about the idea of electronic gambling slot machines and how our brains work, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.